Welcome in to another episode of the Double Dupe Sports Podcast, episode 11 of season 5, recording here on a Tuesday afternoon in College Station, Texas, our fifth and final episode in the month of May, on the final day, on the fifth month in the calendar year. I'm your host, Tyler Dupnik. Please be joined once again, and as always, by my co-host and twin brother, Austin Dupnik. Austin, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing wonderful, Tyler. Happy to be here with you once again, one last time here in the month of May, and excited, just like always, to dive into the content that we have on this episode. And how are you doing this afternoon? Uh, doing pretty good. You know, it's only a Tuesday, right? So it's early in the week. We're getting the podcast knocked out, you know, earlier this week for obvious reasons that we're about to get to for the content of this episode. So looking forward to what we have to talk about here. Before we get to that, thanks for listening as as always. You can subscribe, rate, and review if you haven't already on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you guys listen to our podcast. Really appreciate it, uh, if you would do that if you haven't already. And you can follow us on social media. As always, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at tdupe25. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at dupe underscore Austin and on Instagram at au underscore dp 10 So once again, if you guys do not follow us on those handles yet, please do because that's where we'll always put any podcast-related information out there to you guys. That's also where we obviously let you all know that the podcast is available to be listened to. So if you guys don't follow us on those handles yet, please do. Absolutely. All right. We'll get started in the NBA as we always do here as we have reached the NBA finals. We have a matchup between the Boston Celtics, the two seed in the East and the three seed Golden State Warriors in the NBA finals. Before we get to that and kind of look at the storylines a little bit and make our updated predictions, if we have any changes to make, we'll go ahead and recap those final few games from the from, you know, the, both of the, both of the conference finals, of course, which the Western Conference finals ended in five games. The Eastern Conference finals went all the way to seven. I'll go back to game five in the Eastern Conference finals in Miami last Wednesday night. Uh, the Celtics ended up winning this game 93-80. to This was a really you know, ugly game in the first half. The Heat had a five-point lead, 42-37. to The Celtics came out in the third quarter, doubled them up in that third frame, 32-16, to and kind of put their foot down. They took the lead um, you know, by double digits, heading into the fourth quarter, and then held it uh, for the win. Uh, again, this game, you know, final score 93 to 80. So that kind of tells the story. The Heat offense was not good in this game. Uh, they were seven for 45 from three point land. They only made seven threes, which uh, obviously 15% is just abysmal. Um, both teams didn't shoot that well necessarily, um, but you know the Celtics able to get you know 22 points from Jason Tatum and 25 points from Jalen Brown. So those guys able to combine for almost 50. Jalen Brown did shoot it really well. He was uh, 10 for 19 from the field, made five threes. So he played really well in this game. And Al Horford gave him double figures as well. Um, and then for the Heat, you know, they were really limited in this game. Jimmy Butler really struggled. You know, he played 40 minutes, but only he was four for 18 in the field and had 13 points. Bam Adebayo actually led the Heat in scoring with 18 points in this game, had a double-double with 10 rebounds. Um, but I think at this point, we were kind of concerned about Jimmy Butler's knee, right? We knew it was kind of bothering him. Um, and so that certainly probably would have you know, you do it. You would think that played a factor into his performance in this game. So he didn't shoot it very well and didn't play that well in this game at all. But again, credit to the Celtics defense. We know how good they are. Um, they flexed their muscles in this game again that third quarter, but they outscored them by 16 and doubled them up. It was kind of the you know the moment, the moment in the game when the game flipped and they were to take the lead and never really surrendered after that. So Celtics able to take a 3-2 series lead back to Boston. All right, that was good stuff for that Game 5 of that series as we shift over to Game 5 of the Western Conference Finals. As we know, uh, this happened last Thursday evening, and at this point, Golden State was leading the series over Dallas three games to one, and now the series shifted back to the Chase Center in, uh, in San Francisco, and obviously the Warriors had a great opportunity to win the series right then and there, and that's exactly what they did last Thursday night as they were able to defeat the Mavericks 120-110 to and win 
the Western Conference this season and advance to the NBA Finals. Uh, they won the series four games to one. Uh, it was a pretty, you know, uh, not a very competitive game in the first half for the most part. The Warriors came out really strong in the first half. They led by 17 points at halftime. So the Mavericks, you know, were, were not looking good. Uh, they did fight back in the third quarter and cut the lead down to 10. But in the fourth quarter, the Warriors and the Mavericks both scored 26 points and the Mavericks were not able to make any more progress. And that's why they lost by 10 in the end. It was incredible team basketball by the Warriors in this game. That's, you know, one of the things that they've done so well throughout the entire postseason is just sharing the ball and just being incredibly balanced offensively. You know, they have star players like Stephen Curry, who's the, you know, obviously their best player and one of the best players in the NBA, but he doesn't do everything for them. Uh, in this game, that was certainly not the case. You know, it's Clay Thompson who went out there and had the best game out of all the Warriors as far as uh, scoring-wise. He had 32 points in this game for Golden State. Uh, but they also had five other players in double figures. Again, it was really a balanced approach for Golden State. They really shared the basketball well. You had Stephen Curry who had nine assists. Draymond Green had nine assists. You know, Jordan Poole had six assists. And so they're just really good. They did a really terrific job with moving the basketball, sharing it, you know, getting the Mavericks defense off balance. And like I said, you know, have all those different guys scoring double figures is really helpful when you have a defense like theirs that plays so well and can do so many great things. Um, other notable things, Kevon Looney was dominant on the inside for the Warriors. He had 18 rebounds in this game to go along with 10 points. So he had a double-double. Andrew Wiggins also had a double-double in this game with 18 points and 10 rebounds for him. So overall, it's a really great game for the Warriors. As far as the Mavericks are concerned, you know, Luka Doncic played well again, 28 points, 9 rebounds, 6 assists. I don't think he shot the ball extremely well in this game, uh, but he still overall was their highest scorer. Spencer Dinwiddie had a big game for the Mavericks with 26 points, but obviously it wasn't enough. And, you know, Jalen Brunson, who had been so good throughout the course of the postseason for, for the Mavericks, wasn't able to come through in this game. He had 10 points for Dallas, and obviously they would have needed him to do more in this game to win it so overall that's about how that game went uh, and you know Golden State ultimately dominated this series obviously you know going up three games to none they lost game four but ultimately it's a gentleman's sweep as the Warriors won game five by 10 points and advanced to the NBA finals and then as far as Game 6 of the Eastern Conference Finals, this happened last Friday evening between the Heat and the Celtics. Uh, as Tyler talked about Game 5 earlier, the Celtics were leading the series three games to two and had an opportunity in this game to clinch the series and go face the Warriors in the NBA Finals, but the Heat would not be turned away just yet. Uh, the Heat ended up winning this game 111-103, to so an eight-point victory for Miami. This was a really competitive game, and you know, it was, for a series like this, it's been really strange in some ways where you've had you know, teams come out really slow, have bad first quarters, and sometimes they've been some really, you know, sluggish games, like not very good games to watch. This one was one of the most competitive ones from start to finish. Really a good game. You know, uh, the uh, Heat led by two points at halftime, and they end up winning by eight points in the end. And you talked about Jimmy Butler, and, you know, after that game five performance, you know, worried about his knee. How is his knee doing, and is he healthy? But in this game, he certainly looked healthy. He came out and was absolutely terrific. He had a monster game for the Heat. 47 points for Jimmy Butler in this one to go along with nine rebounds and eight assists, just an incredible performance by Jimmy Butler in this one as he put the team on his back because, you know, he scored, you know, nearly half their points if you if you think about it. And then, uh, you know, they didn't get that many contribution from other guys. Uh, Bam Adebayo really struggled for the Heat. He only had six points in this game uh, to go along with nine rebounds. Thankfully, though, Kyle Lowry had 18 points and 10 assists, so he had a double-double in this one. Max Struess had 13 points, and then P.J. PJ Tucker had 11 points for Miami. So ultimately, you know, not a lot of uh, big-time performances outside of Jimmy Butler. 
Butler, but that's why it's good for the Heat that he was able to go out there and have just one of the most one of the best games of his career. I think that's the most points he's ever scored in the postseason. I mean, he's been really terrific throughout the course of this playoff. He has some big games already. This one was the biggest of, of them all. And an elimination game in Boston and that environment, really an amazing performance by Jimmy Butler. You can't say enough good things about what he did in this game. Uh, for the Celtics, obviously, they barely lost. They you know hung with them, and it was a really good game. Jason Tatum had 30 points for them to go along with nine rebounds. And then uh, D- J- uh, Derek White had 22 points in this game. So I think that was his biggest output of the of the postseason for them offensively. And Jalen Brown had 20 points uh, as well. So they had three guys who had 20 or more points in this game. But, you know, Al Horford didn't do a lot. Offensively, only had three points in this game. Uh, Marcus Smart had 14, so he probably could have done more. Uh, ultimately, you know, they just weren't able to do enough in this game uh, to overcome what Jimmy Butler did. But at the same time, it was a good game on both ends. You know, it was, again, one of the best games of this series. It's been really lopsided at times. Really an exciting one, and I think for NBA fans it was exciting because now we got to see a Game 7, uh, which we're going to talk about right now. Yeah, Game 7, uh, you know, two of the best awards in sports, right? Uh, the Heat able to get get the win on the road against Boston. You know, home court advantage did not hold serve in this Eastern Conference Finals at all, and uh, and it served one more time that the road team had the advantage here as the Celtics ended up defeating the Heat 196 um, in that Game 7 down in Miami. Five road wins in this series, um, and this was a game that uh, Celtics got to a great start. They're up 32-17 in the first quarter. Again, we kind of saw the Heat get off to a slow start, which was weird, especially at home, and they have the energy in the building, and the Celtics able to get off to a great start, which helped them, obviously. Uh, Jason Tatum ended up having 26 points in this game. Uh, Jalen Brown had 24, and Marcus Smart had 24 as well. So those three guys were the key scorers for the Celtics, combining for you know almost 75% of their points. Um, those guys were terrific in this game. Al Horford had 14 rebounds. Um, we also saw Jason Tatum, you know, had 10 rebounds, so he had a double-double. And overall, they were able to find more offense than the Heat, who, you know, you watch the Heat play basketball, and it's kind of been like this all year. They're obviously better defensively, you would think. Um, they're not super explosive on offense. We kind of saw that again in this game because, you know, they just weren't able to do enough in terms of, you know, I feel like in today's NBA, you certainly have to shoot the three ball well. And we saw the Heat struggle again from downtown, only six for 30 in this game, 20%. Uh, credit to Jimmy Butler, though. He was amazing in this game too played all 48 minutes uh, had 35 points 13 for 24 from the field he did all he could to uh, lead the heat to the NBA finals did they just came up short um, Bam Adebayo had 24 uh, excuse me 25 points 11 rebounds he had a double double and he played well in this game and they needed him to play well to have a chance uh, to win this game uh, Kyle Lowry also was in double figures with 15 points. He was, you know, kind of laboring at times because of that hamstring injury in this series. So credit to him as well, getting it out and finding a way to contribute. But that he just couldn't do enough in this game ultimately, uh, and they really made it interesting late with a le- an 11-0 run in like the last three minutes, and then Jimmy Butler, uh, you know, missed a three uh, that would have given them the lead by one in like the last, you know, 15 seconds. So just getting to that point was pretty remarkable. The Celtics had a comfortable lead with a few minutes to go, and kind of felt like the game was pretty much over, and the Heat going that 11-0 run, and you know, had a chance there to actually steal it late and they just came up short so credit to the Celtics though again those guys played really well uh, with Tatum and Brown and Smart contributing a lot on offense and um, those are your superstars and the guys you uh, I mean at least especially Tatum and Brown those are the two guys that have been there for the longest or not for the longest but have been kind of the two main franchise pieces for a long time now and they've come up short but now they finally were able to, they were finally able to overcome um, what they've kind of 
you know, finally able to get over the hump and actually win the Eastern Conference. So credit to them. They were awesome in that game and, and finding a way to get it done. So, uh, you know, ultimately the Celtics get the four-point win on the road to win the Eastern Conference Finals. Jason Tatum was the uh, Eastern Conference Finals MVP. They actually have Conference Finals MVPs for the first time now. Uh, the Larry Bird Eastern Conference Finals MVP went to Jason Tatum and the Celtics back to the NBA Finals for the first time since 2010. So it's been over a decade since we've seen the Boston Celtics on the grandest stage. And now they have a chance to, I think, get their 18th title in franchise history, which I believe would be the most ever uh, break a tie with probably the Lakers, I would imagine. So they have an opportunity ahead of them to do that. Um, also, the uh, conference uh, ter- the conference championship trophy is the in the Eastern Conference is the Bob Cousy Eastern Conference championship trophy. So they got to collect some hardware down there in South Beach. Uh, good for the Celtics in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff there. Um, you were just talking about how you did the trophies and stuff, right? I kind of zoned out for a second. I was looking at some stuff on my phone. But yeah, I don't even mention who won the. I was yeah, I was I was about to. I, was, I didn't know if you had anything to say about the Eastern Conference Finals or anything. I don't know. I don't think I needed to say anything else. I think you covered that last game very well. He said it was down the stretch that he came back, made it competitive late, and had a chance to win it, but came up short. I don't know if you mentioned that Stephen Curry won the uh, Western Conference Finals MVP trophy as the Irvin Magic Johnson uh, Western Conference Finals MVP trophy. Again, like I said, they have uh, MVP trophies now for the first time in the Conference Finals, and it was Stephen Curry who won it in the Western Conference Finals. So. Now the matchup is set. The, uh, I'll just say real fast. The Western Conference Championship Trophy is uh, named after Bob Cousy. So, or not, not Bob Cousy. I just said that was the Eastern Conference Finals once. Named after Oscar, Oscar Robertson. So that's okay, my yeah, bad. That sounds I was, good, yeah. Yeah, Bob Cousy is the Eastern Conference. Oscar Robertson, Western Conference. And they have the... Finals MVP trophies, which uh, conference finals MVP trophies, which seems like something they should have had already. It's kind of surprising they didn't, but those are named after Larry Bird in the Eastern Conference, and then, like you said, Irvin Magic Johnson in the Western Conference. So it's pretty cool. It's a nice addition. Like I said, I'm kind of surprised they hadn't had that hardware yet up until this point. So uh, that's good to see. And those guys played really well, and those are the guys that we're expecting to play really well in this NBA Finals as well. And I guess I'll let you kind of get started since you were about to. Yeah, definitely good stuff there. And it is surprising they haven't had that they didn't have those trophies already. Um, so, yeah, like you said, we have the NBA Finals matchup set now between the Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors. It should be really exciting to see how this one shakes out. I think they played twice in the regular season and they split the series one game apiece, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and so we'll see what happens here uh, in, the, in the series. Um, certainly going to be a lot of excitement here, a lot of star players on display here. You know, we have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and then, you know, for the Celtics, and then, of course, Marcus Smart. It's been terrific for them. Al Horford playing in his first ever NBA Finals, the 15-year veteran. It's great to see him playing on the biggest stage here for Boston. And, you know, they got just, a, you know, we have two of the two of the best defensive teams in the NBA squaring off in the finals. So I don't know if we're going to see some some lower scoring games or not because they obviously have, you know, great offensive players who like Tatum and Brown, who I mentioned. And, of course, for the Warriors, just a lot of star power with Curry and Steph Curry, you know, Clay Thompson. You know, Andrew Wiggins has been doing good things in the postseason. Of course, Jordan Poole has come on strong and has been such an offensive force for them. And Draymond Green, you know, obviously a huge contributor for their team. And just overall, they're just a super balanced team. So I think it's going to be really exciting to see what happens throughout the course of the series. I'm hoping for a good series. And I think we're going to get one here. And I think it's just really two evenly matched teams. Of course, you and I both had the same exact predictions, you know, before the postseason started. We both thought the Celtics were going to get to the NBA Finals, and they are here, which is good for our predictions that we thought that they were going to be able to get there, and they were able to pull it off. Of course, I thought the Suns were going to be playing the Celtics, and so it'll be the Warriors, which isn't, you know, it's not a super, it's not a huge shock because of how well they played in the postseason, and just their overall approach right now, their offense is rolling, and they're just sharing the basketball so well, which is a real key, you know, just the way they're moving the ball, and they don't, they have just don't have one or two players that can beat you, but they have a number of guys who can make big shots and do great things and that's why they've been so great in this entire postseason and you know 
beating the Mavericks in five games is really impressive. And so it's going to be really exciting to see what happens. Uh, game one of the NBA Finals will be on Thursday at 8 o'clock p.m. on ABC. Or at least I'm, I'm assuming they're all on ABC at this point because this is the finals. And so it's going to have to be, you know, where everybody can watch it, not just people who have ESPN. So I think it's going to be really fun to watch uh, game one on Thursday. Yeah, definitely. Um, you talk about the Warriors being back here again for the sixth time now. Sixth time in the last eight seasons, they're going to be in the NBA Finals, and uh, they became the first team since the Bulls to make six Finals appearances in an eight-year stretch, and became only the fourth team ever, along with the Lakers in the '80s with Magic Johnson um, at the helm, and then Bill Russell's Celtics in the '50s and '60s. Of course, the Bulls were all led by Michael Jordan. They won all six of those. Obviously, the Celtics. Uh, excuse me. Obviously, the Warriors aren't going to. You know, they lost. You know, to the Cavs and the Raptors, and two of those. NBA finals trips but still they've done a lot um, in their time um, you know and, and on this stage and this is 18 consecutive playoff series wins versus the Western Conference for the Warriors which ties uh, the 1959-1967 Celtics for the longest streak against the conference division or conference slash division opponent this is all on TNT after the game I, they showed this graphic and it was just remarkable the kind of consistency and dominance that, that the Warriors have had over the last you know decade or so and then Steve Kerr became the first coach in NBA history to reach the NBA finals in his first six playoff appearances so they've only been in the playoffs you know six times with him and they've won it all every single time or not I mean they've been to the finals every single time uh, which is really impressive they won the western conference every time they've been there with him and um you know that's obviously really impressive last two years they weren't able to get to the playoffs all the injuries and everything they kind of had to went through it was almost like a little mini rebuild and then of course this year they've had everybody healthy again clay thompson back he's had a great season when he's he's had a great you know resurgence since he came back he i think he, he had eight threes in that game six win or game five win rather which i think was his fifth game this playoffs eight or more threes which i think i believe set a record and he'll have a chance to add on uh, more in the nba finals how good he's playing right now and so yeah it's just been uh you know it's 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 not surprising to see them back but they're just right back to where they were now that they're healthy and a full squad again a couple new faces right but still the same core guys that, that were there in the early times with the Warriors and so it sets up the great matchups as you mentioned earlier you know what the scores we have in this series you know, with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Jordan Poole kind of being those three key scores for the Celtics, or excuse me, for the Warriors, um, obviously, and, and what what they've done. I mean, Jordan Poole, I feel like he didn't have as good of Western Conference Finals as he probably started the playoffs, but he's still, you know, a key contributor for them. And then, you know, of course, Draymond Green's kind of like a, the glue guy, holds everything together, a really good job of running the show, and they don't have a lot of size necessarily, but he's a tough, you know, defensive player, obviously, and a really good rebounder, and you mentioned Andrew Wiggins playing well, and so I think certainly the Celtics have the size advantage in this match, and when you think about if Robert Williams is healthy, you know, that would be a big for them because he's, he's been dominant on the boards and, you know, defensively he can be really good for them in this series if he's healthy, if that knee's not going to bother him. We know Al Horford's been really good in this series, rebound the basketball, and he's had some big-time moments uh, in the playoffs at times this year. And then, of course, you know, you mentioned earlier Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are those key scorers for them. And but and I, I would consider Marcus Smart to be kind of the equivalent to Draymond Green. Obviously, a terrific defender, a little bit of a glue guy. He's kind of held them together all this time. He's been there probably the longest. Uh, I feel like certainly one of the longest tenured Celtics on that team. And and uh, of course, I, I feel like I definitely give him the advantage in terms of scoring. Though he definitely is more of a threat to score the basketball than Draymond Green. So he's kind of like their third scorer certainly. But I mean, both these teams are terrific defensively. Um, it's going to be so much fun to watch. 
watch because I think it's the best two teams in the NBA. Um, you could make the case. I mean, obviously, they're getting to this point, so they are the two best teams right now in the NBA, but certainly they're both top three seeds. They both won over 50 games, um, and so it's going to be really cool to see. And they've both been really good on the road. I think the Warriors have some crazy streak now as well where they've won a road game in the playoffs for, you know, a number of, like, double digits, probably similar to that 18 stretch, uh, 18, you know, streak against the against the Western Conference opponents, winning 18 straight series against Western Conference teams. Somewhere similar to that is how many times they've won on the road in a series. So I wouldn't be surprised to see either of these teams get a win on each other on the on the others' his home court. I don't think that's going to be too much of a factor. Home court advantage hasn't played much of a factor for the Celtics necessarily in terms of there, but they've been able to go on the road and get wins when they needed to. The Warriors have been able to do the same. That's why they won in five games, and the Celtics won three games down in Miami to ultimately win the Eastern Conference. So I don't that's going to be interesting to see how the home court plays, but I don't think it's going to be a big factor because both these teams are really good defensively, and that always keeps you in it, right? And they're all super talented, and it's going to be really cool to see. And uh, I have the Celtics over the Warriors in seven games. That was my prediction coming into the conference finals. I thought about changing it because I feel like, you know, certainly the Warriors are probably playing better right now than the Celtics are. But I mean, at the end of the day, they're both here. They're both really talented. And I feel like the Celtics at times were, they didn't play their best probably in the Eastern Conference finals in terms of how they turned the ball over at times. And, you know, obviously they had some pretty bad games that got blown out. But uh, they'll probably learn from that, hopefully. And they can be really good in this series. And I think it's going to be really competitive. And I'm, I'm going to roll with the Celtics still in seven games. But I can certainly see the Warriors winning because they've been here before. There's only the more experienced team in this uh in this NBA finals but it's going to be really fun it's just really nice to see it's actually you know I don't really I've never been a fan of like Boston sports because I don't like the Patriots obviously being a Dolphins fan and the Red Sox and the Astros have had some battles in the postseason the last couple of years you know and so but the Celtics are like the one team in Boston that hasn't been on this stage in you know over a decade so they haven't actually had that much uh championship success uh in this in this century so I'm not you know I wouldn't be that opposed to seeing them win it um I've actually probably if I was gonna root for anybody I'd be rooting for them because the Warriors have won so much but I think it's gonna be really fun to watch the matchups are great and uh, I'm gonna stick with the Celtics in seven but either team could win obviously they're both really talented both playing really good both great defensively which is uh, is nice to see as well so it's gonna be a fun matchup I think yeah, absolutely. It's going to be really exciting to see how it unfolds. And I also have the Celtics winning just because I'm going to stick with my prediction that I had before the conference finals got underway as well. So I have the Celtics in six games, although I wouldn't be surprised if it goes to seven. Uh, certainly, it feels like this is a, a series that could definitely go to seven because both teams are so good and so evenly matched for the most part. I just think it's going to be really fun to see how it unfolds. You know, two great defensive teams. You mentioned all the star players that we have, and I did too. And I think it's interesting to see a team like the Celtics who have a bunch of guys who have never been to the NBA finals before versus a team in the Warriors who and their whole, you know, they don't have a, a lot of guys who have been to the NBA finals. I don't think obviously you have Curry and Thompson and green who were all part of those championship teams uh, earlier in the decade, in the last decade. Um, so they're obviously been to the NBA finals multiple times, but they also obviously have some other guys too, like Jordan Poole, who's never, I don't think he's been on this stage before and other guys as well, who are going to have to, you know, I don't think Andrew Wiggins, unless he was there back when they went the last time, I don't remember if he was, I don't think so, but either way, there's definitely more experience for the Warriors being on the grandest stage in the NBA Finals compared to the Celtics but I don't think the Celtics are going to be you know looking at an experience I think they know what they're what they're getting into I think they're ready for the challenge and ready for the fight and it's going to be really exciting to see what happens you know one player I haven't mentioned either was Derek White who is obviously was acquired by Boston at the trade deadline from the Spurs and he's been terrific for them at times not great offensively at times not great at shooting the three you know I've seen pass up a lot of open shots uh, from behind the arc but he's been able to do some good things offensively and certainly his defensive presence is, is the biggest uh, thing that he 
brings to the to the game and obviously he's played a huge role in their defense being as good as it was down the stretch of the season and how good it's how good it is right now and so he's a big part of that plus he's a guy who was you know playing in the western conference in his career prior to this season prior to the being with the celtics so he's played the warriors a number of times i would i would i would I'm sure he's played the Warriors more than anybody else on the Celtics. So he has uh, more experience playing against those guys and maybe has some insights that he can bring to the table too uh, to help out in terms of defending the Warriors and all the things I like to do offensively. So there's a lot of things you can look at, but ultimately it's going to be really exciting to see how it transpires, how it unfolds. Once again, game one on ABC on Thursday night at 8 o'clock p.m. And all of the games are going to be on ABC. So very easy to watch. And I'm just going to talk about the next, I'm just going to like uh, give a preview to the next three games after game one. So game two is going to be on Sunday night at 7 o'clock p.m. Then Game 3 will be next Wednesday, June 8th at 8 o'clock p.m. And then Game 4 will be next Friday, June 10th at 8 o'clock p.m. So those are the first four games of the series. The only four games were guaranteed. Certainly, I don't think anyone's going to get swept, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, certainly. And, uh, you know, we don't have to look at any more games after that because we'll be recording, you know, next week. And no matter what happens, we'll still be recording. But then game four is what, Friday, June 10th. So um, that's not going to, we're going to be recording next Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday sometime. We always record in the middle of the week. uh, So we know that, you know, again, we don't think anyone's going to get swept. We hope this series goes to seven games because it certainly can live up to that hype and be that good. Um, You know, it's going to be probably, I think, the toughest test. I mean, the Warriors have kind of made it look easy at times in this postseason run. I mean, they won the Western Conference final only five games you mentioned the gentleman sweep so but I don't think I think the Celtics are going to bring up a much tougher test especially that size and we'll see how they rebound the basketball of course um it's gonna be awesome to see what happens but yeah we'll be that's all we really need to say uh, at this point because we'll be coming back next week and we'll be through three games and then by the time we record after that actually not we, you know there's a chance that we it's gonna take a couple of episodes to get through this NBA final because of how many days off of the travel and everything and they're gonna extend it as long as they can I mean you want to make sure that everyone's healthy and can play the best at this moment in time so there's always two days in between travel which is a little bit different than everywhere else and so and there's also two days in between this first game and second game just because they want to make sure they put it on Sunday night you know when most people can watch on a Sunday uh obviously NBA thinking about that and for good reason so um that's all we really need to say about the NBA. I feel like we dove into that nicely. Uh, we previewed the NBA Finals more than we previewed any other series, which it seems appropriate. And so it's it's been a fun postseason run. It's It's been a long time. You know, the NBA playoffs longer than any other postseason stretch. I mean, I guess along with the NHL, but we don't really watch hockey very much. So compared to MLB and NFL, though, it's like a two-month stretch. And so it can kind of get a little bit demanding. But now we finally reached the NBA Finals, and now we get to finally crown a champion here in the coming weeks. And it's going to be fun to see who uh, can get it done. So we'll move on now to the MLB, or to Major League Baseball, rather, and we just have news and notes here again. Uh, we talked about last week. Next week, we'll come back and uh, do a little standings, you know, recap so far, th- two months through the season, kind of where everybody's at at this point in time. Of course, yesterday was Memorial Day, and that's always kind of like an unofficial kind of bookmark in the season. I mentioned that last week as well. I'm kind of like, if you're playing well, they're probably going to keep playing well, and uh, and so you can't you have to take some of these teams that maybe surprised so far seriously, and and so that's always something to consider. But two months uh, since the season will start be next week, so we'll able to kind of make a little two-month bookmark and evaluate everything so far. Well, it's been a really fun season, and so just news and notes this week. We don't have that many. Going back to last Wednesday, May 25th, I didn't have anything from last Wednesday. I mean, we again, I we, we did a nice job of keeping track of this day-to-day, and I just didn't find anything. We didn't find anything from Wednesday, so move on now to Thursday, May 26th. 
And uh, we saw Josh Hader uh, record a save and 16 consecutive appearances to start the season. He's actually tacked on a couple more since then. Um, I put this one on here because I believe he's getting close to some history, or at least uh, in terms of starting the season with that many saves. I probably should have taken a picture of what I uh, about this one, but certainly his dominance so far has been on display. And uh, he had a couple of saves yesterday. He's getting close to, you know, I think you guys mentioned it yesterday uh, in, our, in our GM uh, that he's getting close to, you know, setting the, the all-time you know, consecutive scoreless innings pitch streak. So we'll see if he gets that in the coming days. Uh, the Reds scored 21s in their route uh, on the Cubs last uh, Thursday. That was really remarkable. A 20-5 to victory for the Reds. I'll let you talk about it more. Yeah, it was definitely a fun game for, for us there in Cincinnati on a Thursday afternoon, early game, uh, you know, for me at least. It starts 11, it was start 11.35 in the morning here, but thankfully it was on MLB Network, so I was able to watch uh, like the first five innings before we went to a rain delay, and then after that, MLB Network stopped showing it because they went on to their normal programming. But I was still thankful that I got to watch the first five innings. We scored like, I think we scored 10 runs in those first five innings. The rest of them came after that. Uh, but it was, you know, a huge uh, seven run, uh, eight run third inning, I believe it was, uh, just like NAU. I was in my, I was outside in the living room watching the game, and you were in your room, and you just kept, you said you kept, just kept on hearing me, you know, calling more scoring plays, and we just had a monster inning there. Uh, Kyle Farmer had a big game for us; it was his first game back after he missed a few games with some back issues, and he came back and had two home runs in that game. Also had a sacrifice bunt, so you know that's that's some versatility right there, and you know just a huge performances by a number of players out there, a number of guys who had big games, and obviously we racked up 20 hits in the game as well. In addition to having 20 runs, I think it was the first time we had scored 20 runs in a game since 1999 and so that was really cool to see um yeah i don't have much more to say about it other than that you know like i said the eight run third inning was the big inning for us where we blew the game open we were losing three to two you know coming into that third inning and then scored eight runs all of a sudden we're up ten to two then even she have the rain delay um but then later once we came back we just continued to tack on eventually we were winning like 15 to five and then they brought out a position player to pitch in angelton simmons and then we just tacked on five more because of that and ultimately ended up winning the game 20 to five and it was really fun to watch so you know the reds as bad as we started the season, you know, three and 22. Remember, we were really abysmal and it was really embarrassing and humiliating. The Reds have been playing better for a little while now. And I don't remember, we saw it on quick pitch the other day. I don't remember what the day was again, but there's, we've had the, you know, one of the better records in baseball since someday earlier in May. I think it was like in the middle of May. And, you know, we don't have the worst record in baseball anymore, I don't think, you know, after we've been able to rally a little bit. And, uh, my laptop just freeze up here or something? Oh, my bad. My, my laptop kind of just uh, froze up on me for a second. I thought we were, we had stopped recording, but uh, yeah, we haven't. We don't. I don't think we have the worst record in baseball anymore. Uh, you know, we've been playing a little bit better as of late. I think it was a series win over the Cubs, or at least I think we tied the series with them after that big win. And so yeah, it was good to see that, and it was certainly a, a fun day for me. Yeah, it was. Uh, we watched Quick Pitch that night, and they came up with a really good stat on Quick Pitch on MLB Network. Uh, teams with the worst record uh, in you know the, in the league to score 20 plus runs in a game since 1940. Of course, coming into this game, the Reds had the worst record in the league. This excludes you know games played in March and April because at that point, obviously early in the season. But now we're in May, and so the Reds definitely would with the worst record in MLB. You can definitely consider this, and they put this into a stat. But uh, the Reds were one of only four teams to score 20 plus runs in a game when they came into that game as the worst team in the league by record joining the 1951 Browns, uh, the 1978 Blue Jays, and the 1980 Angels. So we haven't seen this in over four decades that the team entering the game with the worst record in MLB scored 20 runs in a game. Really impressive stuff from your Reds, and they have been playing better, so that's certainly good to see for you. Yeah, I just want to say, like, we, we start off 3-22, and 22, now we're 16-31, and 31, so we're like 13-9 and nine since then, which isn't too bad, and we're tied with the Royals coming into today for the worst record in the league at 16-31, and 31. so we're not, you know several games below everybody else were kind of along with other bad teams now, which is good. 
Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's better than what it was, certainly. It was nowhere else to go but up. And then we had a Dodgers hit parade out in the desert. Um, this was a game where I think the Dodgers won like six. I think they scored 16 runs in this game at Arizona. Um, all nine players in the batting order recorded multiple hits. Uh, and it was only the second time that the Dodgers have done that since they moved to Los Angeles. Last time they did that was on June 27, 2011 at Minnesota. Obviously, the lineup's much different a little over a decade later. Mookie Betts had three hits. Freddie Freeman had four hits. Trey Turner recorded two hits. Will Smith had a pair of hits. Edwin Rios has been playing better for them. He's been a good bat for them in their lineup. He had three hits. And then Justin Turner had two hits. Cody Bellinger recorded three hits. Chris Taylor had three hits. And Gavin Lux had two hits. So all nine batters in the lineup, multiple hits. They just you know put up, put up a great offensive showing there against Arizona and what ended up being a series sweep over four games. So the Dodgers playing better baseball than anybody right now in MLB. And uh, the run differential is ridiculous, which, again, we talk about that a little more later. We get to put more things into perspective from what we've seen this season. Didn't have anything from Friday, May 27th, so we'll move on to Saturday, May 28th. Uh, Sandy Alcantara had another gem of an outing for my Marlins. He had pitched eight-plus innings, uh, or I think he pitched eight innings exactly in that game, and that was, uh, you know, I'm trying to find the stat that I'm pretty sure I had a stat on this one. But uh, he had eight-plus innings pitch for the third consecutive start. And I guess I don't have a stat for it, but uh, that's the first time that's happened um, in quite some time. And I, I, I guess we're at a stat for it. Now I'm like kind of losing it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you were going to talk about it. Maybe you have more to add. You know, I just wanted to say that we talked about Sandy Alcantara last week and how we thought that he was, you know, not like, you know, not really underrated. But we, we talked about how we don't think he gets talked about enough. And I just wanted to talk about how, you know, He's been really terrific through the season once again. And, you know, going eight plus innings and three straight starts is really impressive when you're talking about a day and age in baseball where sometimes, you know, we don't see a lot of pitchers go deep into ball games anymore. Although this season we have seen a bit more complete games than I think we're used to. We've seen guys go deep into ball games, but certainly Alcantara is a guy who gives you good length. And it's really impressive to see him do that. And that game he had against the Braves, his last start with 14 strikeouts over eight innings pitch was just incredibly impressive. And so he's just been terrific right now for you guys. And certainly a guy who needs, I think he's getting talked to about more, but I still think he needs to be talked about as one of the best pitchers in baseball because he absolutely is. Yeah, definitely. Um, this was a terrific performance. He had 14 strikeouts in this game and a win against the Braves. Um, again, he's he's the one Marlins star that actually pitches really well against Atlanta, which is great to see, and he was absolutely dominant in this game. And I think what I wanted to mention was I'm pretty sure he's the first pitcher since Garrett Cole in 2019 with my Astros to have three consecutive starts, eight-plus innings pitched. I believe that was the stat. So that's really cool for me. I've been able to be a part of this a couple of times now over the last couple of years. And so, yeah, Sandy Alcantara pitching better than anybody in baseball right now. Uh, also, another great pitching performance we saw on Saturday, May 28th, was Nathan Evans. Valdi, who pitched a complete game in the first game of the doubleheader against the Orioles and a win for the Red Sox. Of course, they've been playing good baseball lately. Their offense has been great. Um, and we talked about, the last time we talked about Nathan Evaldi on this podcast was whenever he allowed five home runs and one inning to my Astros. But in this game against the Orioles, he was awesome. Uh, pitching, uh, you know, all the, going the distance, going in the full nine innings for the first time in his career. I think going into this game, he was one of the, uh, you know, you know, longest tenure pitchers in MLB, or at least he's made like second or he was, he was the second most or was the most, you know, starts in a career before uh, having pitched a complete game among active pitchers. And so now he gets his name off that list and good for him. But to go the distance in this one, go the full nine innings. And then uh, this is not MLB, but we had to kind of mention this from Saturday it was uh, UCLA and uh, the Pac-12 tournament put together an epic comeback. They were down 21-12 going into the ninth inning against Oregon State and then they ended up scoring nine 
runs exactly in the ninth inning to tie it at 21. They went into extra innings. They ended up going down 22 to 21 before they tied it at 22 on a questionable ball call that drove in a run. And then a three-run home run by, uh, can't remember exactly what his name was, but uh, this dude was only had six RBI all season, had seven RBI in this game from like the seventh inning on. And there was and he had a walk-off three-run home run. UCLA won 25-22, one of the weirdest games you'll ever see. Didn't watch a lot of it, obviously, but I watched the, the extra innings and watched the walk-off and, and some of the stuff that came after that. And of course, and, and actually what was another interesting part of this was now because UCLA won, they had to play again. So UCLA and Oregon State did play one more game later that night. Oregon State ended up winning that game on a walk-off before losing in the Pac-12 tournament championship game the next night against Stanford. And was the first Pac-12 tournament ever, I believe, which is weird they haven't had one before. But that was certainly interesting. We were watching uh, the SEC tournament and we heard that that game was going on. We're like, what the heck? Went over the Pac-12 network and watched some of that. That was pretty wild. Yeah, certainly something that I don't think I've ever seen before. Certainly, you know, it's rare that you see a team score 20-plus runs in a baseball game, and now you have two teams that both scored over 20 runs. And, you know, it's not supposed to look like a football score, you know, but it certainly did, albeit a a little bit of a strange one there. 25 to 22 is not one you'd see very often, but, you know, scoring in the 20s is not normal for baseball. And like you said, we were watching the SEC tournament, and then they said that, you know, we had some wild things going on in the Pac-12 with, you know, uh, UCLA scoring nine runs on 19 to tie the game at 21 apiece. It's like, are we playing? Are we playing football? I mean, going to overtime. You know, basically, going to overtime. You know, extra innings tied at 21. Now we are talking about football. Basically, it's just really amazing, and uh, you know, some crazy happenings there in the first ever Pac-12 tournament. It is strange they didn't have one before, but it's good that they have one now. And like you said, uh, them having to play each other again after that, you know, because they, they did a double elimination format even in the semifinals of their tournament. And so to have that crazy wacky game and to come back and win it and then have to play, you know, 30 or 45 minutes later is pretty insane. They had to somehow. How, you know, Oregon State had to somehow, you know, regather themselves after blowing that lead and losing a game, you know, that they scored 22 runs in. And but you know, have to give them credit for, you know, gathering themselves and, you know, getting things straightened out and then winning uh, that second game against UCLA and then still going to the finals of the tournament before losing to Stanford. But yeah, definitely something wacky that we wanted to mention, even though it wasn't MLB. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, it's obviously was remarkable, and I was gonna say it was obviously uh, the stat that I saw it makes a lot of sense. It was the most runs scored this season in Division One uh, baseball. They combined for 53 hits, and uh, and a cumulative batting average for everybody in the game was 495. So pretty ridiculous stuff. 16 pitchers using the game. I don't think anybody wanted to take the mound in this game. They probably reluctantly had to go out there and do the best they could because the bats were on fire for both teams. Pretty remarkable stuff there. Sunday, May 29th. Only have one note to mention here. Max Free picked up his 500th career strikeout. So the young Southpaw for the Braves, who's done so much in his career already, you would you know kind of think about him. He's won a World Series last year. He's been a great player for them since he came up. He's been able to stay healthy for the most part and been the ace of their staff, you would think. I mean, to some extent, obviously, he had some really good starting pitcher, but you can make the case that he's the best of all of them. And and so he got his 500th career strikeout, and he's on a good pace so far in his career and impressive to watch what he's done so far. Um, Monday, May 30th, just yesterday on Memorial Day, you saw Framber Valdez go the distance for my Astros. So again, we've seen a decent amount of complete games lately, and that's always a good note because we don't see that a lot in baseball nowadays, but we're seeing it more this year, which is good to see. But Framber was awesome for the Astros yesterday, uh, picking up his first career complete game. I know he's really excited about it and really happy he was able to do that. Um, you know, he's been really, I think I think a couple of starts maybe early in the season didn't go his way, but he's been absolutely dialed in ever since and been a key part of our rotation that's been so good this season, one of the best in baseball easily. Jordan Alvarez cranked a couple of long home runs that racked up over 900 feet, and it was really good one for the Astros yesterday, and Fromber was absolutely outstanding, going the distance, seven strikeouts, just having everything working for him yesterday, and it was really great to see. 
Yeah, it's awesome to see him do that yesterday. It was his first ever nine-inning complete game. I think he's had two in his career, but the other one wasn't a full nine, I don't think. And so really exciting stuff for him and for the Astros, who are playing really great right now. And he's obviously a big part of that and a big part of their pitching staff and their rotation that's been, you know, one of the best in baseball this year. So it was awesome to see that yesterday. And, you know, I think he threw like 114 pitches, which is, you know, that's not like a crazy number. At least it shouldn't be. I mean, obviously, nowadays with the way managers have been doing it for the past handful of years, you know, you get guys to around 100 or maybe 95 and they, you know, guys want to take him out. But it was great to see Dusty Baker stick with his guy. Of course, Dusty Baker, you know, obviously we talked about him a couple of times on this podcast before over 2,000 wins in his managerial career. Obviously, he's been in the game for a long time and it was great to see him go out, you know, trust Framber Valdez to finish the game and he went out there and did it and certainly something great for Valdez. He's super proud of that. So that was cool yesterday for him. And like I said, he did that. We, you talked about Yavaldi earlier. We've had a number of other guys who have also been able to pitch complete games this year. And it's great to see because I think it's something that has definitely declined in recent years, but it would be nice to see more pitchers go the distance. And it was awesome to see that yesterday. Certainly. Uh, we also have uh, another note, note to mention here. A couple actually that we had yesterday, more yesterday than we had any other day of the week, but Jose Ramirez reached 50 RBI yesterday and he's done it in only 44 games so far this season. He's the first to 50 RBI this season. He's actually tied for the sixth fewest games to get to 50 RBI in a season since 2000. You know, again, 44 games. He's been driving in runs and a great clip um, so far this season for the Guardians. Definitely been their best player. They signed him to that big contract earlier in the season. Like I know there was some trade rumors going on early in the year and they got him locked down for years to come, which is great for them because um, he's just been such a great player. I mean, I, I mean, I don't think he's underrated, but I almost feel like we're going to look back at whenever he's done playing and we're going to really try to, I think we should appreciate now what he's been doing for so many years now, but definitely a guy who I think, there, I don't think you're going to find anybody that says, has anything bad to say about Jose Ramirez. He's just an absolute professional and just continues to perform at the highest level. Yeah, definitely. I was going to say the same thing about him. I don't know if you can call him underrated, but he also might be in that conversation of guys who you feel like they should get talked about more for what they do. He's certainly a guy who's one of the best players in baseball. And I think it's just because he plays in Cleveland, not a huge market, not a great team so far this season necessarily. And, you know, but certainly he's a guy who just goes out there every single day and just gives you, you know, whatever he has. And he's a tough guy, plays every single day, drives in runs like crazy. Like I said, 50 RBI already this season. You know, he just does it all. You know, he's had a couple of different, you know, I think he leads the league in triples this year so far to it like four so he definitely has all the tools and he's just really fun to watch and so it's great to see him reach that 50 rbi plateau and and in what do you say 44 games so far this season that's really fast obviously averaging over an rbi per game and so really awesome to see him and you know obviously he's an mvp candidate right now once again the american league like he has been in recent years and you know he doesn't get talked about enough for being a consistent mvp can, can, uh, candidate you know a, you know mvp perennial player type of guy he hasn't won the MVP award yet but he's in that conversation seemingly every year right now because of what he's doing and he is one of the best players in baseball and certainly that's a huge accomplishment for him this season definitely and then another note here I know you're gonna talk about more after I do but yesterday we saw the longest home run hit in MLB so far this season with Jesus Sanchez and my Marlins an absolutely prodigious blast 496 feet into the Coors Silver Bullet Bar in that at Coors Field of course in Colorado, it, it helped uh, that it you know went nearly 500 feet. But certainly, I mean, Jesus got all of that one. Uh, so it was not even the it was not even the triple deck. It was above the third deck a little bit, and uh, that was really cool to see. Unfortunately, we didn't get any more runs in yesterday's game, and ended up losing because the bullpen blew the game, which is frustrating. But that was still something that uh, was definitely needed to be shared, and, and it's been talked about uh, as it should be because that was amazing to watch. I've watched it a number of different times. It never gets old. It's still like just amazing, uh, jaw dropping to see him just absolutely crush one up, and even a little over the, the third deck there um, amazing home run yeah it was absolutely phenomenal and really amazing to see that happen yesterday for Jesus Sanchez you just don't see 
balls hit that far. You know, you can see, we see a lot of home runs hit in Coors Field, obviously. A hitter's paradise. We see a lot of guys leave the yard. We see a lot of big mammoth shots there. But that is certainly up there with one of the longest home runs I've ever seen. You just don't see balls go up that high up in there in that Coors Silver Bullet bar. And just amazing uh, home run by Jesus Sanchez. He's had some big home runs so far this season. Has a lot of raw power, certainly. Still having some, you know, he still is a guy who's learning and getting better. He sometimes will still chase a lot. Now he came out, he started the season really good. And then has had his he's gone through some slumps here and there, but certainly he's a guy who's a lot of offensive potential there. Obviously, a lot of power. And you know, anytime you see a home run go nearly 500 feet, it's obviously going to be a jaw dropping one. And when you see it go all the way up there, uh, put you know to that third deck up there on that concourse, you know, I'm sure there's people who work up there in that Coors Silver Bullet Bar who I don't think I've ever seen a ball go that high, or at least you know not often. And so they were probably really stunned that a ball just got hit all the way up there. So that was really incredible yesterday, and one of the longest home runs in Coors Field history, but not the longest because we know it was Stanton who did that back in 2016. It went over 500 feet at Coors Field. Yeah, I was about to mention that uh, two Marlins actually have the top two uh, home runs in terms of distance. Uh, second, that was Sanchez, like you said, second longest in Coors Field history behind John Carlos Stanton back with the Marlins in 2016, I think, who it won like 504 feet, I believe. And that was actually deep left center, uh, which is interesting. That was uh, an amazing blast, too. Not as, not, it just went probably a little more aesthetically pleasing because it was so high in the air and so amazing, but Stanton torched it in it over 500 feet. So definitely a, a lot of fun to see uh, that, you know, StatCast giving us some great numbers there. And then uh, last thing here on uh, Monday, yesterday, Sandy Alcantara and Pablo Lopez, uh, because Pablo Lopez, uh, actually, I probably should have led with him, but yesterday, Pablo Lopez pitched for my Marlins against the Rockies, pitched six innings to shut out baseball again before the bullpen unfortunately blew the game, but that lowered his ERA below two. And with how Sandy Alcantara has been pitching so far this season, especially lately, his ERA is also below two. And so uh, Pablo Lopez and Sandy Alcantara joined an exclusive group of only six, uh, or uh, they're the sixth now, uh, in this group of, of teammates who enter June 1st with ERAs below two. Um, pretty remarkable stuff. It actually hasn't happened or it's actually happened more recently. Like this was back in, you know, had a couple that were back in 1985 and 1989. But just over the last couple of years, we've had teammates enter June 1st with ERAs below two. And now Pablo Lopez and Sandy Alcantara joined that group, which is really cool to see. Now, only the Angels team didn't make uh, the playoffs uh, in the season that they did that. So I hope we don't, you know, join the Angels in that you know, unfortunate, you know, realm because, I mean, we've we've been struggling to win games. We lost a lot of close games this year. We just have to find ways to win. Our offense has to get more consistent. But, uh, you know, Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole and with the Astro Tales, 18 were also on this list so that's pretty cool for me and got some connections there again and that's definitely an interesting stat uh, they've, been, they've both been out saying this year I've been saying it ever since the season started they're co-aces and uh, and then Pablo Lopez kind of likes any Alcantara doesn't get probably as much respect as he should but they're both Cy Young contenders right now in the National League which is really cool and hopefully we can start winning more of their starts and and can uh, get some momentum going into the summertime and lastly, here in the uh, MLB News and Notes section, Players of the Week actually came out today. Uh, and Jose Ramirez, again, of the Cleveland Guardians, was the AL Player of the Week. Second time this year, he's won Player of the Week in the American League. I think he won it the first week as well. He drove in 11 RBI this week, three home runs, and an OPS uh, almost 1,400. And then Francisco Lindor of the New York Mets won NL Player of the Week. Uh, he had six extra base hits this week, 14 RBI. I think he actually has like eight straight games, at least one RBI, and so that makes a lot of sense. He drove in 14, and then he had an OPS uh, uh, 1,277. So uh, Francisco Lindor having a really great bounce back season for the Mets, and he's been a big part of why they've been so successful this year. They've uh, one of the best teams in the league for sure, a really comfortable lead out in the NL East, which is frustrating for me as a Marlins fan trying to close that gap. But the Mets have been really good. Francisco Lindor has been really good. Now he gets rewarded as the NL Player of the Week. 
Yeah, that's great stuff there as we wrap up the MLB news and notes. And, of course, former teammates, Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor, who had great years together in Cleveland, now still doing great things, even though Lindor is now in New York with the Mets. So that wraps up the MLB news and notes. Once again, nice many last week, which was good. It made sense since we recorded last Wednesday. And then, you know, last week we had like 20 of them, and that was because we had a larger gap in between episodes this time, not as much of a gap, and also a couple of days where you did not document anything. Once again, you do a great job. Uh, if you guys don't know out there, I, I don't use usually actually writing news and notes down. I may make a comment here and there, and Tyler is always the one who does a great job of writing them down in his notes section so we can keep track of all the fun and exciting things that are happening in MLB each and every day, or at least almost each and every day. So uh, now it's time to double dupe with some PGA Tour talk. Obviously not going to be as extensive as last week when we were able to recap the PGA Championship. Uh, we recapped that uh, tournament obviously at length because it was the second major of the year and was worth talking about for longer than a couple of minutes. But we're not going to talk about the Charles Schwab Challenge for too long. They just happened this past weekend, but uh, we saw Sam Burns get the win in a playoff with Scotty Scheffler. Uh, Sam Burns is his third victory of the PGA Tour season. He's now second in FedEx Cup points behind Scotty Scheffler, and he won with a terrific putt there on that first playoff hole to get birdie and then put Scheffler in a tough spot where he had to make his putt, which was going to be a long one. It was going to be difficult to make, and he wasn't able to do it, but certainly a, a great tournament for Sam Burns, obviously, and it was really another great comeback. Uh, we saw Justin Thomas have the big comeback at the PGA championship the week before this past weekend and then this week we saw Sam Burns who was also down by seven strokes coming into that final that final day he uh, shot a 65 uh, and was able to force and was able to you know put up obviously went out there earlier than than the leaders uh, coming into the day but it went out there and shot a good number shot 65 put himself in a position to potentially have a chance to win ultimately he goes in the playoff with a Scotty Scheffler and finds a way to win on that first playoff hole because of a terrific putt on that on that playoff hole and so a great win for Sam Burns like I said, his third of the season, and now he is second in FedEx Cup points, really having a great year, and people don't talk about him nearly enough. Yeah, I think after this, people are starting to recognize that this guy has really underrated. This is his fourth career win on the PGA Tour, and, and that's in 28 start stretch. So he's won four times the last 28 starts. Um, and so obviously, he's been you know on quite the run. Again, you mentioned second in FedEx Cup points, three wins this season, and uh, a guy who people don't look at as he's a number nine ranked golfer in the world, too, I'm pretty sure. So, I mean, that's something I don't think a lot of people realize how good this guy is. Sam Burns has been terrific, uh, you know, the last, you know, 13 months or so, I believe, as well. I think that was his first win, I think it was 13 months ago. So it's been about a year now since he picked up his first win and has had a lot of success and and uh, definitely a guy who could contend every single week and uh, and just doesn't quite get the headlines but um yeah, I heard that apparently he and Scotty Scheffler are really good friends, and so that was probably a, a cool moment for them to both compete against each other there in that playoff hole. And you mentioned Sam Burns, that 38-foot putt from just off of the green, but certainly could have used a putter there, and he did, and he rolled it right in there. And then Scotty Scheffler almost made it, uh, his birdie putt, just couldn't quite uh, get it to go. And he didn't have any birdies the entire round. Scotty Scheffler fired a 2-over-72, no birdies the entire day. And I think that was his first round all season where he didn't have at least one birdie. So pretty surprising stuff. He was playing really well all weekend long. I believe he had a share of the lead after the first round and I think he was the clubhouse leader um, and going into the final round and again just kind of struggled there through the 18 holes the win was a big factor I heard I didn't watch as much of this one obviously it's not as big of a deal but I did I did, I did watch a little bit here and there and uh, watched them on Sunday and I you know read about it to, I read you know today I kind of got caught up with some articles and kind of recapping what happened and some of the experts on you know kind of the win was definitely a factor it was playing tough to condition that's why we only saw you know they were tied at nine under going to the playoffs so there wasn't a lot of low scoring going on at the uh 
at the Charles Schwab Challenge there at Colonial Country Club, which is a great event and a lot of great players in the field in this one. And Justin Thomas actually missed the cut, surprisingly, coming off that PGA Championship win. But Scotty Scheffler missed the cut at the PGA Championship, able to bounce back, get himself into a playoff. But again, Sam Burns able to get the win uh, there at Colonial Country Club, get that really nice tartar jacket, and then get actually a 1979 Firebird um, from from, Schwab, from uh, Charles Schwab. Uh, that was a that's a really nice car, and so good for him getting a 1.5 million dollar payday with the purse and getting a 1979 Firebird that looks absolutely awesome and then the great jacket and uh, he's having a great season and should be talked about more and he's playing really good golf going into the summertime now you know coming off that win you know it's kind of a grinded out kind of day with the wind again being a factor and then you mentioned the 565 on Sunday really impressive to get himself a chance to come back was great and we have the US Open coming up in a couple of weeks this is a guy who's kind of putting himself more in a position now where he could certainly win a major and so we'll see if uh, he can continue to play good golf heading into uh, the month of June and what he can do moving forward so great stuff for Sam Burns winning there at Colonial really good golf course really good golf tournament there at the Charles Schwab Challenge and then we get ourselves set up now for another really good golf course, another really good golf tournament with the Memorial Tournament presented by Workday. They're at Mirafield Village Golf Club in Dublin, Ohio. Of course, Jack Nicholas's place. Really good golf course. Always a fun tournament to watch. And uh, So this one should be fascinating to see who pulls this one out. Patrick Cantley uh, got the win at Jack's place last year, um, and so it's going to be fun to see. It should be a really good film. I'm not sure who's all in it, but I'm expecting it to be a really good tournament because typically this is uh, one of the you know one of the more popular days in the PGA Tour calendar, I would think. Yeah, it's definitely going to be exciting to see what happens here this weekend at Jack's Place. And like you said, Patrick Kentley won last year at this tournament, and so we'll see who gets it done this time. I know Bryson DeChambeau uh, won it recently as well. I think he's been obviously battling injuries this year and really has had a tough season. I think he's going to try to see if he can play in this one, and we'll see if he's able to. Yeah, actually, just read an article earlier today about about him. He said he's he feels healthier now than he's been all season, so he's really excited. Uh, I think he said like there's still sometimes because he's coming from that, back from that wrist injury that kind of hindered him, or he had that surgery on that hammock bone that he had to deal with which is obviously frustrating and so I think coming into this he hasn't been able to play and he had to withdraw from the PGA Championship before he even started he didn't get a chance because he just didn't feel like he was ready but now he's in a position where you know I think he, I read that he's you know still a little it might still be a little troublesome at times but certainly for the most part he can he's in control of his game and so he's really excited to be out there this week and try to compete and, and have a, he thinks he has a chance to win so that's cool obviously he's been it's been a tough season for him he hasn't even played very much at all and he's really really far down the FedEx Cup standings there's not that many tournaments left necessarily I mean, we got a couple months left but I mean he's got a lot of work to do to try to get into the FedEx Cup playoffs still so ho hopefully for him he is healthy and can start playing the great golf that we got accustomed to seeing there for a good stretch of time and you know the U.S. Open which he won a couple of years ago that's coming up in a couple of weeks and so he would certainly feel like he wants to be ready for that one so we'll see how he plays this week I'll be certainly be intriguing and so again I'm always rooting for the team Taylor made guys so we'll see what they can do this weekend and it'll be fun to watch certainly look into watching that a little bit um, this week and maybe even later this week on the golf channel so That'll be fun. We also have another great golf match tomorrow with Capital One's The Match happening over there in Las Vegas uh, between uh, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers teaming up against Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen in the sixth edition of Capital One's The Match. Uh, this happening over there again, like I said, at the Wynn Golf Club in Las Vegas. Uh, well, last time we saw the match was uh, when Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka faced each other at the same golf course. A very similar uh, approach this time in terms of uh, the tw they're only going to play 12 holes and, uh, and they're going to play, in, it says the event is a 12-hole match 
play format in which teammates play the same ball on each hole. So uh, this will be fun to watch. Certainly it's match play. I think the biggest thing we always talk about when we talk about the match, we understand there's a lot of great money raised for charity throughout the entire thing, which is always great. Um, but a bunch of different, like, you know, they might have like a hole-in-one challenge or something like that, or long drive challenge, whatever the situation might be where you'll see a lot of money go to charity, which is really cool. We also get great access, especially to, you know, NFL quarterbacks who are so great on the gridiron. Now they get to take their, their uh, you know, they get to take their talents to the golf course, see what they can do there. So we know they're great trash talkers and they're, there's always great camaraderie and great access behind all of this. So looking forward to that and looking forward to seeing guys who aren't professional golfers that are closer to us probably than the pros for sure, seeing how they go about their business out there on the links. Absolutely. It should be really fun to watch. Once again, we've enjoyed watching these events in the past. We've had a number of athletes involved in the match, but this is actually the first time that no professional golfers are competing in it. So normally we've seen, you know, guys like Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson and last year, Bryson DeChambeau. And so we've seen those guys kind of pair up with other athletes and other sports. But this time it's just all, you know, four NFL quarterbacks. And, you know, it's interesting. We have Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers who both competed in it last year. And then we have, you know, Patrick Mahomes and uh, Josh Allen pairing up who have never competed in this event before. And so, you know, you know, Brady and Rogers have some experience with how this all operates with all the access and having like, you know, the broadcasters in your ear and stuff like that and all the different things that go into it more so than just playing the game. Uh, so they have more experience in the match, obviously having played it last year, they team up with each other, which should be fun to see. And then Mahomes and Allen, obviously uh, this is their first time competing in this event. So it should be really exciting to see what happens. Certainly, uh, you know, again, without having any professional golfers, that, that certainly adds a different twist to it. But uh, certainly we know Mahomes and Allen are competitive and they said they're ready to go and they're excited and they're not just I think I saw a quote that Josh Allen said they're not just doing it to do it they think they can win they want to win they don't want Brady and Rodgers to hold it over their head if they beat them and so they're definitely coming in here to ready to go excited to compete and wanting to win this thing so it's going to be competitive and fun and exciting for all those reasons you mentioned and for the ones that I talked about but yeah the access is going to be great all the money raised for charity is going to be terrific as well and it should be a blast tomorrow afternoon in Las tomorrow afternoon and the coverage starts like 5 30 eastern time obviously Las Vegas it's like kind of I think that's western I guess it's uh i think it's pacific coast time in las vegas so it's starting a little bit earlier here uh because of that um or a little bit later here rather so it's going to be like for us 5 30 5 30 pacific or no 5 30 central time is when it starts so i think i said eastern time so Start 6.30 Eastern time, so 5.30 Central time is when it gets underway. So tomorrow afternoon slash evening, it'll be fun to watch it. Yeah, and I'll just pop on TNT tomorrow afternoon slash evening, and I'm sure it's going to be, or I mean, we were saying tomorrow, but, you know, the, the 1st of June, pop on TNT in the afternoon slash evening, and then I'm sure they'll still be playing, and it's going to be cool to see. Certainly, it's going to be, you know, if I had to put my money on, I'd definitely go with Brady and Rogers because they've been in this situation before, and I've seen them play, and I know, you know, Patrick Mahomes has been in Tahoe, you know, playing those pro-ams, and Josh Allen was, uh, I believe, at Pebble, uh, Pebble Beach earlier this year doing a pro-am so I don't but I don't really know how good they are and it's just it's a different environment certainly especially match play so I would certainly uh, go with the two old goats and and lean that way if I had to put my money on it but it's definitely gonna be a lot of fun to watch the broadcast should be really good too. We get Ernie Johnson uh, as the key play-by-play there on TNT. Of course, the Emmy Award winning, the great Ernie Johnson with Turner Sports. And then, you know, Charles Barkley um, is going to be there as well, along with J.J. Watt is actually going to be a part of the coverage. And then Trevor Immelman, who of course does great work with CBS and then as well as Amanda Renner, who's always doing a great job with the interviews with CBS. So it's going to be a really great crew as well to work there, the broadcast team to bring the coverage to us. Of course, all the great other folks there with TNT. We're going to help put this on. This is the sixth edition again of the match, which is always fun to watch. Looking forward to this one 
tomorrow. It's you know been announced for a couple months now that we we're going to get this matchup, and it's certainly going to be intriguing. And so uh, I think that's pretty much all we have to say about it. Probably previewed it more than we expected to, but I thought that was a really nice preview. And of course, the recap will probably be a little more elaborate, but we'll see how it goes tomorrow. And the last time uh, that we had the match was again was uh, again Bryson DeChambeau against Brooks Kepka, and I didn't get to watch very much of that one because I was busy that day. Um, so I'll look forward to watching this one more. And so. Lastly, here with the double dupe segment, we'll talk about Aggie Athletics just for a brief moment here. That's kind of how we've done it uh, over the last couple of weeks. Um, but Aggie baseball, you know, our run came up short in the SEC tournament last week, lost uh, on Saturday in the semifinal to Florida, got beat pretty good by them. We beat them 10 nothing in that game on Thursday, which was a lot of fun to watch after all the rain went away. Had a great comeback win against Alabama on uh, that Friday night. And then, unfortunately, we just didn't have anything going for us on Saturday when we got eliminated in the semifinals. But, uh, you know, still fun to be a part of that. Uh, certainly still a lot of expectations going to the post season Tennessee the, the best team in all of college baseball uh, by everybody by pretty much everybody's estimations ended up winning the SEC tournament they never trailed in the tournament the volunteers certainly the team to beat as we are now going to be entering the uh, postseason in, in the NCAA tournament which is really cool the road to Omaha starts this weekend the Aggies with a number five overall seat which is really awesome we get to host a regional here at Bluebell Park at Olsonville which is gonna be really cool to see I'm not sure if I'm gonna get going to, I'm not sure if we're gonna get to go to any games or not I'm not really sure how the tickets are gonna work I think they go on sale tomorrow morning I'm not really sure how expensive they are or what how that's all going to go, but it's going to be fun to see what our Aggies can do. I think it's the first time since 2017 that we'll be hosting a regional and being a top eight national seed means if we take care of business and get past this regional, we'll get to host the super regional, which is the best of three series against the Louisville regional. I think whoever wins that one, but a lot of great teams out there and we'll see how it all shakes out. It should be really fun to see what happens uh, throughout the course of the postseason. Certainly a lot more expectations and, you know, just a lot of excitement for the Aggies who last year, I don't even think we're definitely not in this position. You know, we definitely didn't make the SEC tournament last year, much less the NCAA tournament last season. It was a tough year for Texas A&M. But then this year, being that two seed in the SEC tournament, you know, that was fun to watch. And obviously you said they had, like you talked about, the big the big blowout win uh, in seven innings on Thursday against Florida was fun to watch. And then the big comeback win against Alabama was awesome too on Friday evening and unfortunately we came up short against Florida and got really handled by them in the semifinals uh, but ultimately it was still a good effort for the most part uh, in the SEC tournament especially when you consider like all the all the, the troubling weather that they had to go through it was really kind of uh, it affected everybody obviously so it was good for the Aggies to still get that far and you know almost got to the finals uh, which would have been a fun game to watch between us and Tennessee it's unfortunate we didn't make it that far but still a good effort and now we'll turn our attention to the NCAA tournament where like you said we're hosting this regional here this uh, here in the coming days you know it's on Friday and then I don't know exactly how long it lasts obviously a few days um, and so we'll see what happens there and then hopefully we take care of business and are able to host the Super Regional too which would be really fun and so there's a lot of excitement right now we're looking forward to the to the postseason and seeing what the Saki baseball team can do here uh, over the here in the course or here throughout June. Yeah, I'm not going to get into all the NCAA tournament, obviously. I mean, I don't really watch college baseball very much. I have more recently because the Aggies are having a lot of success and because it's kind of like one of the few things that's still going on in college athletics and uh, there's more time for it now, especially now that we're getting into the NCAA tournament is where we get to watch more of it, certainly. Although I think it's actually ESPN+. Plus. I'm not really sure how much I'm going to watch, right, But which is unfortunate. But, yeah, it has a chance. It's going to start on Friday at the regionals, and I think they all have a chance to run through Monday and then the Super Regionals are the following weekend. And then uh, after that, I think, uh, you know, the uh, you know College World Series in Omaha starts on June 17th, and that will run through June 27th potentially. I think the uh, first game of the final you know College World Series, whoever gets to those last two teams, whoever's left standing, the last two teams, I believe game one would be the 25th of June, then game two of the 26th, and if necessary, game three on the 27th. So certainly this is the best time of the year for college baseball and, and the most accessible time because I feel like there's just not that much coverage on college baseball, and unless you're like really in it, uh, you know you can't really follow college baseball casually. You kind of have to be really invested to keep up with it, and so 
probably the reason why I don't know as much, but I have been able to follow Aggie baseball a lot, so I'm super excited to see what we can do, and I hope we can can perform really well. I know the offense is going to have to outslug people like they have all year. The pitching staff's not as good, but hopefully we get some outs and can find a way to win, win some games and, and keep this magical season going. And so that'll be a lot of fun to watch as we move forward, and we'll keep an eye on that, and we'll see what kind of coverage we bring to the podcast with that. But again, not going to dive into all those matches. There's a bunch of great teams out there, and we'll see how it all shakes out moving forward. But last thing here on Aggie Athletics to the uh, Texas a men's golf team, which, of course, we talked about last week, was going to be competing at the NCAA tournaments over there in Arizona. Unfortunately, they did not play well enough to make uh, the match play or the final day of stroke play. They came up two strokes short in the cut line to make the final round of stroke play on Monday was a uh, top 15. They ended up finishing 16th at like 39 over par. A couple strokes off, just kind of couldn't find a way to get there. And the set, I know I read the recap. We got off to a slow start on Friday and then Saturday we made a good push up the leaderboard and ourselves in a position to where Sunday we definitely had an opportunity and just unfortunately couldn't do enough. And end up missing that final round of stroke play on Monday and didn't make the cut for that which so the season essentially ended right there except for Sam Bennett uh, who's our best golfer one of the best golfers in all of college golf uh, all of men's college golf he did uh, make I think the top 50 maybe I'm not exactly sure but he was like tied for 49 so he got to compete in the last day of stroke play in terms of individual play and he ended up, and he ended up uh, excuse me shooting six under 64 yesterday which was amazing because it was playing tough the course yesterday and he was the lowest round yesterday at six under 64 and because of that he ended up finishing 10th so a top 10 finish for Sam Bennett the uh, NCAA tournaments, which is really cool to see for him. Uh, again, one of the best golfers uh, in a history, I think, honestly, and, and so that's really great to see him perform so well yesterday, and uh, and now we have the you know match play going on right now, which which is going to be interesting to see. I know we have a couple turn, uh, you know, this morning we had some, the quarterfinals are done, now the semifinals, we have Vanderbilt against Texas, and then we have Pepperdine against Arizona State, so we'll see how that goes. Vanderbilt was the one, number one overall seed. They had a Gordon Sargent, their rookie, or not rookie, but freshman, you know, he ended up winning the uh, NCAA tournament individual championship championship yesterday in a playoff and became one of one of very few freshmen in the first like 15 years to win the NCAA tournament as you know individual titles so that's really cool for him and we'll see what they can do at this point I'm rooting for the SEC I know how I got to cover some men's golf with the battalion so I know that Vanderbilt won the SEC tournament and was the best team in the SEC and now hoping that they can be the best team in all of college golf when it's all said and done. Yeah, definitely good stuff there. It's unfortunate the Aggies weren't able to ultimately advance to the, uh, you know, stroke play yesterday. And then, or, yeah, yeah, they weren't able to ultimately do it as a team, even though we did get to see Sam Benny yesterday, which was good. It was nice to see him uh, play so well yesterday and get into that top 10 and finish 10th, you know, so it was, that was really awesome to see, uh, certainly. Um, so it's unfortunate they weren't able to ultimately perform super well at the NCAA championships, but I still go back to what I talked about last week when you talk about how the, uh, how Texas A&M was only like one of 12, I think, colleges and universities to have both their women's and men's teams competing at the NCAA championships. So it's still really good to see them on the stage and to see the women's last week we talked about. Um, so yeah, it's great to see that still. Even though they came up short over the weekend, they still competed and it is what it is. Uh, and now we'll see what happens here for the teams that are still standing. Like you said, we have the quarter, the semifinals happening right now. And certainly we're rooting for Vanderbilt, not only because, you know, for the SEC, but also because they're playing Texas and we don't want to see Texas have a chance to win it all. So certainly go Vanderbilt. And then, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with the uh, couple of West Coast teams, Pepperdine and Arizona state facing off against each other right now too so it should be fun to see what happens there and uh certainly good stuff still for the aggie athletics still for the uh for the golf team to be on that stage and to be competing there even though they weren't able to do too much it was still good to see that 
Yeah, I believe they missed the NCAA tournament last year, and so to get to the the final, you know, I think they missed the NCAA championships last year. So to get to the championship round, at least, is really cool to be able to compete on that stage. And I believe uh, I saw that we're bringing most of the starters back, or most. I think I think only one of our, uh, you know, Walker Lee was our fifth year senior. I believe he's the only one that's not going to be back. So I think Sam Bennett, who's actually been here for a long time, who's also a senior, I guess maybe some eligibility there. I believe he's coming back next year, which would be really great. And so the future is still pretty bright for that program. They did a lot of good things this year. I feel like I got to cover them a couple different times. And I probably got I think I think more than the women's, they were kind of inconsistent. They would have they won some tournaments, but they also kind of finished pretty poorly in a couple of them. I think the women's team had a lot of top five finishes, and it's probably why they played so well, you know, last week. And the men's team wasn't able to do enough, and just weren't able to be consistent enough and play good enough golf to, to find their way into the the final round of stroke playing the match play today. But still uh, proud of those that group of guys and that that team, and we'll see how that goes moving forward. But certainly a lot to look forward to, and uh, with that program and kind of you know golf, like you said, just in general for Texas A&M Athletics. And so that's really all we have there with Aggie Athletics and kind of what we want, kind of what we wanted to talk about with college baseball and college golf. We kind of merged it all together in that last segment there. So that's all we have for the double dupe segment. And uh, good for us. We expected this to be a shorter episode than we've had recently and, and is going to be a shorter episode by quite a bit of time. So I'll let you go ahead and finish up before you bring it back to me. Yeah, that's going to be it for us here on this episode of the Double Deep Sports Podcast. Thankfully, here just a little over an hour right now, so wrapping up, which is good. You know, you can almost make the case that we still have been a little bit long-winded here, but certainly in comparison to the other episodes we've had recently, this is certainly a lot shorter, which is good for all of us. So thanks for listening. If you listen to the entire thing, we certainly appreciate that. Uh, but even if you listen to parts of it, you know, if you wanted to t- chime in for the NBA stuff or if you wanted to hear uh, about the MLB news and notes or those sorts of things, whatever you listen to, we certainly, you know, appreciate any listening that you did for us here, any uh time any time you spent listening to us talk about sports we certainly appreciate that so thank you all for that um, once again uh, as always please subscribe rate and review on spotify and apple podcast or wherever else you listen to our podcast certainly we appreciate it when you guys do that for us and also please follow us on social media once again you can follow me on twitter at doopy underscore austin and on instagram at au underscore doopy 10 so if you guys don't follow us on follow me on those handles yet please do as i talked about in the outset uh, certainly if you don't follow me there please do and of course Tyler will be able to once again share his handles with you all one more time here before we wrap up. So if you guys don't follow us on social media yet, please do there on Twitter and Instagram. And as always, as I wrap up here down the stretch, I certainly continue to look forward to what we have in sports. Certainly, we are entering June tomorrow, and there is no shortage of excitement and entertainment in the sports industry. We're looking forward to all the things we have. Of course, the NBA Finals getting underway on Thursday night should be really exciting. It's going to be a fun series, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it all unfolds and transpires. We've got the MLB rolling along each and every night, each and every day. Really fun stuff. Great series all the time. It's going to be really fun to see how everything continues to unfold here as we are just about two months in of the season and of course we'll be looking forward to kind of giving you all a standings update next week whenever we are officially about two months into the season and so that should be really nice and then of course we got the PGA Tour this weekend at Jack's Place in Dublin Ohio of course at Mirafield Village Golf Club and so that should be really fun here over the weekend as well and of course we got Capital Ones the match which is happening tomorrow which of course if you guys are listening to this right now it's happening today and it might be even happening right now depending on when you're listening to it so it's tomorrow it's June 1st and so that's gonna be really fun to see how that unfolds tomorrow too and then of course 
Aggie baseball with the postseason starting up here uh, over the weekend here in Aggie land. Of course, like you said, I don't know if we're going to be able to go into any games or, you know, and, and they're all on ESPN plus. I can't really watch them either, but we'll, we, we can still, there's ways we can keep up with it and we'll certainly be excited about that. So just so many great things for us and for you all out there as well. So continue to, you know, enjoy it. I know that we certainly will. And so there's just a lot of fun things to look forward to here going uh, here in the future. And I'm certainly looking forward to all of the great sports action we have here in our birthday month of June. So uh, that's it for me. I look forward to all that stuff here in the, in the coming weeks and in the coming month. And I look forward to speaking with you all again next week about all of it and more here on the Double Dupe Sports Podcast. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, I'm not going to say everything you just said because you really did a nice job of you know kind of previewing everything we have moving forward and a lot of the stuff we just talked about on this episode, which is great for us. I think it was a good episode. We covered everything probably a little bit more than we needed to, but we were able to do it pretty good amount of time, I think, for the most part. So next week, we'll come back and recap what happens with the Memorial Tournament presented by Work Day there at Jack's Place and look ahead to the RBC Canadian Open, which is happening after that, uh, which will be intriguing to see how that one goes. Uh, we'll be able to look at that a little bit, not too much, but we still have you know a couple of weeks uh, to go until the U.S. Open there in the middle of June uh, and so that'll be cool and then of course you know there's a lot of great action moving forward but to look back on again MLB next week we need to take a look at that kind of the two-month picture of the standings and how where we are two months in that'll be a nice segment for us and then the NBA playoffs whatever happens in the NBA finals we'll recap those games so far which won't be a whole lot to recap necessarily we'll just kind of stick to the same script and only a couple of games that are gonna be in the books and uh, be interesting to see who's leading the series at that time and so, yeah, that's pretty much it. And uh, again, the Capital One's the match. We'll be able to recap whatever happens there, which should be intriguing. And hopefully it's a good match because, again, we haven't seen, you know, Josh Allen and, and Patrick Mahomes on this stage yet. And so, you know, it's match play. And Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers probably have a better game plan, you would think. A little more expectations. I expect them to play well. And so hopefully it's a good match. It doesn't turn into a blowout or anything like that. Because, I mean, Brooks Kepka actually ended up running away with it against Bryson DeChambeau when they had that match play, uh, you know, in last November. So hopefully it's a good competitive match between all those great quarterbacks. And it'll be cool to see that. And so a lot of great stuff to look forward to. Uh, plenty of content next week uh, again you guys can follow me on social media as always on twitter and instagram at tdub25 and so we'll we'll definitely uh you know keep you guys updated if we have anything to update with and uh, it'll be a lot of fun next week i think we'll have a really good episode and i'm i'm happy with how this one turned out and hope you guys join us next week right here on the double dupe sports podcast <laughs>